This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ram. How are you going, Ro? I'm good, Bryce. Very glad that you're back in the hot seat and uh, starting the episode off. Yeah, feels good to be back. You did, you did hold the hot seat down uh, very well. Uh, rumors are that uh, some of our listeners think it should be a one-man rent show. So no, 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 no. <laughs> too much, way too much pressure for me. Way yes. too much pressure. <laughs> so <clears throat> the Swans had a had a good, uh, well, good loss. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. No good such thing as honourable losses, mate. Uh, yeah, it was a good game. Thought we had them. Obviously, uh, won't be last night when people are listening to this episode. Um, but yeah, we lost. So yeah, unfortunately. Well, this episode, Ren, uh, talking about things that fly the swans, we're going to be jumping into... (laughs) (laughs) Do you like that one? Leave the segues to me. (laughs) We're going to be doing another one of our uh, industry shallow dives, shall I say. You know, the time that we have given ourselves, roughly 30 minutes, uh, we can't really do a a really in-depth dive into this industry because it's massive, but we've decided to do another industry shallow dive. The last one we did was on casinos, which I really enjoyed. So this episode, Ren, is all about aviation. Obviously, there are a lot of companies that have you can invest directly in through airlines, and then there's a lot of subsidiary companies as well that support the aviation industry that are worth looking at. So this episode is all things aviation. So you want to kick it off. What we're going to do is have a bit of a look at industry statistics and some of the key metrics. Then we'll jump into some of the companies that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange that you can directly invest in if you want some exposure in some way, shape or form into the aviation industry. Then we'll look at some of the key impacts on the industry, some of the drivers for for growth and uh, wrap it up with our, our thoughts. So I know you... You've requested to kick this one off, so uh, let's do it. Yeah, so to start it off, given we're talking about aviation, I want to talk about how jet fuel can melt steel beams. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No, I 
I want to kick it off. I want to kick it off with a quote from Warren Buffett. So in his February 2008 letter to shareholders, he wrote, a durable competitive advantage has proven elusive ever since the days of the Wright brothers. Indeed, if a far-sighted capitalist had been present at Kitty Hawk, he would have done his successes a huge favour by shooting Orville down. So Warren Buffett saying that capitalists and investors would have saved a lot of money if Orville had never been able to fly and the plane had never been invented, which is interesting because you, you see how big airlines are in you know the modern economy of moving people and goods. So, I mean, it's also ironic given that Warren, since writing that, has now invested in all four major US airlines. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt, I guess. But, yeah, look, as we start this discussion... It's probably important for people to understand that airlines have traditionally been a tough industry for investors. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll we'll touch on a few of the main reasons why that is the case a bit later on this episode. So I'll start, Ren, with some industry statistics and a bit of a background. Just for anyone listening, we are talking primarily about the Australian aviation industry here. So Obviously, the aviation industry in Australia underpins business and tourism, and it has an estimated annual revenue of $43.54 billion and added just under $16 billion to the Australian economy in 2017. Just to note that I am pulling all of these from an aviation industry report that was written at the end of December 2018. The industry employs about 88,000 people, and it can be broken down into five main subsectors. So you've got the domestic commercial aviation, uh, international commercial aviation, general aviation, air freight transport, and aviation support infrastructure. So over the last sort of 20 years or so, international aviation capacity to Australia has grown from just under 10 million inbound seats in 1995 to just under 27 million seats in 2018, which represents about a 4% average annual growth rate, which is pretty good for a 20-year period. This increase has been driven by, obviously, uh, a greater capacity coming from New Zealand and then primarily the Southeast Asian regions, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and of course, China and, and the Middle East. So yeah, international aviation capacity to Australia has grown 4% in in the, the last 12 months as well. Do you have any comment on that, Ren? I think it just, again, illustrates the power of compounding. So in 20 years ago, it was 9 million seats and now it's 27 million seats. So just by growing at 4% a year, the industry has tripled in size in 20 years. Yeah. So once again, the power of steady, long-term compounding growth. That's a very good point. So as I mentioned, Ren, revenue of $43.5 billion, the industry turned a profit of $4.12 billion on that, on that $43 billion. The average wage in the industry is 81700 and there are 1,865 businesses classified in in the aviation industry. Obviously, we will not be touching on all of them. <laughs> We're going to spend one minute on each of them. <laughs> <laughs> the employment growth to 2023 is expected to be 11.5%, so pretty strong growth in terms of um, hiring capacity and scope 
for the industry, as we said, is airport operations, domestic international airlines, um, and non-scheduled air transport. So I'll just quickly give a few key stats to give you an indication of the size of the industry, both domestic and international in Australia, up until the end of 2018. So 61.6 million passengers were carried up to the end of 2017. Sorry, you should just clarify, when we were talking before about the 27 million seats, that was international and that 61 million is domestic? Is that, is yeah. that the distinction? Yeah. So 681,000 is the number of aircraft trips from 2016 to 2017. That's actually a reduction. 8.97 million passengers travelled between Melbourne and Sydney, would you believe? Pretty astounding number. And 27 million passenger movements through Sydney Airport alone, which is Australia's busiest domestic airport and we'll touch on on that uh, a bit later on. Internationally, 62 international scheduled airlines operated in Australia to and from and 38.6 million international scheduled passengers came through Australia with 1 million tonnes of international scheduled air freight, uh, which was pretty astounding. So, So our top five countries are New Zealand, Singapore, United Arab Emirates, USA and Indonesia. Yeah, same. Well, Singapore accounted for 14% of passenger movement to and from Australia and Auckland accounted for 12%. So between the two of them, you've got, what, 26% or so already. And then obviously the States and the UAE just, I guess, getting to Europe. Yeah, I guess a lot of it is, you know, key stopover points. So yeah, maybe a lot of people flying from Asia stop over in Singapore. True, true. So at this point, Bryce, you've convinced us that... Aviation is a big industry. Huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we've well and truly established that fact. So should we get into the investing side of it? Yes. And talk about what's, what's out there for Australian investors? Absolutely. So do you want to kick this off? I've got a list of a few. Obviously, there's the, the very clear and obvious ones, which are your airlines. Um, Then I've got a couple of others as well. So what have you got on your list? Yeah, so I think like every industry, there's a number of sectors. I think the way we break this up is the airlines themselves, the carriers, and then there's the infrastructure, so the airports, and then there's service services around it. And for airlines, there's a lot of specific services. I, I probably won't talk too much on the maintenance and no. luxury side of it, but there's also you know the booking, customer-facing side of it. So really, I think let's start with the airlines. That's the... They're the key thing in all this. Then talk about the infrastructure and then talk about the sort of ancillary service providers that are involved in the industry. Easy. All right. Well, Australia's biggest airline is Qantas. Everyone would have heard of them, ASX code QAN. Here's a question for you. What's Australia's second biggest airline? Is this a trick question? I'm just asking you. Um, Australia's second biggest airline... Uh, do you do you classify Qantas as including subsidiary of Jetstar? Uh, that is a good question, and I should have been more prepared. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Let's let's include Jetstar. I'm not okay. sure if if this. I'm not sure where Jetstar would fall uh, without this. So maybe it doesn't need to be. But yes, let's include it. Well, I mean. <laughs> It's got to be Virgin. Yeah, it's Virgin. It wasn't yeah. a trick question. <laughs> Shouldn't have asked the question and wasted a bit of time on that. So the the second biggest airline in Australia is Virgin, ASX code VAH. And then the third biggest ASX listed 
airline, not from Australia, but traded in Australia, is actually Air New Zealand, ASX code AIZ. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know it was listed in Australia until doing some research for this, so I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of you'll find a lot of New Zealand companies, uh, bigger ones at least, dual list. I'm not sure if Air New Zealand is dual listed, but there's obviously more more liquidity and more more capital in the Australian market than there is in the New Zealand market. So, so they're probably the three big airlines. There's two smaller ones that I've got down, and I'm sure there's other ones that I haven't included. Regional Express, ASX code REX. Yeah, one of my uh, favourites. Flies me home to Wagga, so yeah, get, there you gets go. me there. Yeah, so uh, they are Bryce's pick for stock of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, which I hadn't heard of, but Alliance Aviation Services, ASX code AQZ. They are big. Ser- they they serve a lot of the mining industry. So if you think about fly in, fly out workers and stuff like that, they're not they're not usually flying a Qantas flight to their mine sites. Alliance do a lot of those uh, sort of chartered planes for big mining companies. Yeah, both of uh, both of those I've had on my list as well. Didn't know about Alliance Aviation Services, and to be honest, I'm very surprised that Regional Express is actually a listed company as well. I didn't realize it was as big as it is. So I just want to add to that, Ren. There are obviously many, many, many other uh, airline services in Australia, usually private charter type style businesses, but they're not listed. Those ones that you've just mentioned, there are the main direct in businesses, I guess, that you could invest in if you wanted exposure to an airline. Yeah. Now to pull the curtain back on this episode, Bryce was very disappointed that Tiger wasn't ASX listed because <laughs> he was pretty no. keen to invest in them. <laughs> Mate, invest in what you know, and I know Tiger is a really... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, poor airline, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon what we do here is let's talk about a few factors, some of the key factors for airlines, and then I'm going to ask you what your – if you had to choose one of those five airlines to invest in, which one would it be? Sure. And then I'll answer it as well, depending on what your answer is. You've so got I me think, on the spot. Yeah, no, that's all right. Um, you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. I will. Uh, so I think the – you know, looking back at the Warren Buffett quote at the start of this episode – Airlines themselves are a tough business to be in. And from a broadest possible perspective, it's because an airline seat is basically a commodity. You just want it to get you from A to B. You don't really care what airline is doing it. You know, a Qantas seat that gets you from Melbourne to Sydney um, is a Virgin seat that gets you to Melbourne to Sydney, is a Jetstar seat that gets you to Melbourne to Sydney, really aside from maybe some of them give you a snack and some of them don't. So what that means is there's pretty intense price competition. When there's a commodity business with no real barriers to entry and serious price competition, it means that margins are really squeezed. So the net margin of most of these uh, airlines is in the single digits. Depending on you know fuel prices and stuff like that, sometimes it's negative, sometimes they'll lose money in a year. I think in F18, Qantas's margin was around 7%. So on about $16 billion in revenue, they earned about 7% of that in income. So not, not great. There are definitely better, higher margin businesses out there. And then the other complexity and where a lot of capital goes is airlines are capital intensive businesses. To buy planes, 
and then to maintain planes is really expensive. So in F-18, Qantas that made $16 billion in revenue spent about $2 billion in capital expenditure. So the combination of really capital-intensive business needing to invest a lot in assets and then getting squeezed on price because uh, they're essentially a commodity is a tough dynamic to compete in. Yeah, I agree with both of those. I had my number one point as being at the, uh, as you said, very capital intensive business. You did two points that I, I want to raise there. You did briefly mention crude oil or the oil price or fuel price. And that's obviously a very big driver for cost of doing business for an airline industry. You can imagine the amount of fuel that uh, an airline has to buy on a yearly basis. And that's fuel prices driven by your oil price. So, You'll sometimes see the price, uh, the, the stock price of an airline, blowing in some regards the the price of oil. So that's something to certainly keep an eye on, and I'm sure the airlines have practices in place to hedge against. But it's certainly a cyclical business in that sense. I, I I'm interested that you said, Ren, that it's an industry with re- relatively low barriers to entry. I think of it as one that is reasonably high to get into from a from I guess certainly from a capital point of view also because it's very, very competitive, so somewhat off-putting for, for new entrants to come into the market. But do you want to elaborate on that a bit? So if, if, I, if I said low barriers to entry, that, w- that was a mistake on my, my behalf. What I meant was that uh, there's not a lot of moats, I guess, not a lot of... Um, yeah, right, protection. Yeah, differentiation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Between, the, between the industry players. Yeah, gotcha, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, as I was saying before, a seat that gets you from A to B, regardless of their airline, is more or less the same. So you're right, and that was a mistake on my behalf. Barriers to entry is the wrong word, but the in terms of competitive advantages between the airlines, it's, you know, they all fly either Boeing or Airbus planes from destinations that they all share. Yeah, yeah. So... I- one other driver, I think, for industry, and I'm sure you've got the same, Ren, is the economy. So airline tourism, for example, is is driven a lot by family or, or an individual's propensity to spend, uh, their level of income, wage growth, um, you know, how confident they are feeling in terms of future economic stability. And if economies are heading into recession or wage growth is low, uh, then the Industry can suffer in some regards, uh, just primarily due to the demand for flights uh, dropping, uh, because people aren't willing to spend money on travel. So uh, that's another consideration to think about when investing in airlines is to certainly consider the economic cycle and where the country lies or is in that in that business cycle. Do you, so, do you have anything else on airlines specifically? No, happy to move to another another sector. So, b- before we do, I just want to say there'll be some people who are quite familiar with the industry that might be tearing their hair out because there's a key part of the industry that we haven't spoken about in terms of airlines themselves. But I want to leave that for my uh, contrarian take at the end. Okay, so okay. you're just gonna you're just gonna have to wait and uh, see if we close it out the way you expect. Okay. Um, so I think at this point we've painted a pretty bleak picture of airlines themselves, very competitive commodity business, capital intensive. Let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about the monopoly players that can set their own prices and, you know, really they're the only, they're the only 
toll bridge into a town, uh, to use the Warren Buffett analogy, <laughs> and and that's the airports themselves. Yeah, yeah. What a business. So there are two big airports listed on the ASX, Sydney Airport, ASX code SYD, and Auckland Airport, ASX code AIA. Once again, a New Zealand business that is listed in Australia. Auckland is dual listed, so it's also listed in New Zealand. So do you want to? Do you have any thoughts on these uh, airports? Sure. Well, Ren, as you said, both absolute monopolies. There's really no other airports in Sydney that have commercial flights in and out. Uh, Badgerys Creek is in development, so that should provide some sort of competition eventually for Sydney Airport. But we all know as passengers that going to the airport is a very expensive endeavour, everything from parking through to food, and they can essentially set the prices that they want uh, on, on anything, be it rent that the airlines have to pay, you know, they, they control the, what's it called, the time at which airlines can fly in and out. I can't think of the right word at the moment. Curfew. 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 <laughs> and another, and, and, you know, a number of other, um, I guess, key factors that airlines have to consider is the space that they get at an airport. Is It all comes at a cost and that's completely driven by the airport themselves. So uh, from a st- business standpoint, it is one that they do have, I guess, large moats and, and uh, not much competition. What, what are your thoughts? And so, well, if, if you look at the market ratios of these airports compared to the airlines themselves, what you'll see is that these airports trade at much higher multiples and that's because they're much more secure and safe businesses with much more capacity to increase their you know, their, co- their prices and lower their costs over time. Um, and they also pay more stable, more consistent and generally higher dividends. Yeah. And that's just because realistically... They're not so much in the aviation industry. They're they're in they're an infrastructure play, dictated by some of the same factors, where demand for airlines and airline seats is higher. They can potentially get more throughput in their airport in terms of people, but maybe in terms of planes as well. That's good for them. When the economy is slow, there's less demand for flights. They have less throughput in their yeah, their sites. That hurts them. But realistically, airports are very consistent earners over time and they're they're pretty well exposed to some long-term macro trends in Australia and New Zealand but and, you know the main thing being the rise of a Chinese middle class that wants to travel and then the growth in export markets from Australia and New Zealand into Asia they they're going to benefit from those sort of long-term trends so pretty good pretty good companies they they do trade at high multiples but at this point, if we were looking between uh, airports and airlines, I know where I would want to make my long-term bets. Yeah, agree. They they kind of fall in that Bond-esque style of investment, you know, along with Transurban and, as you said, those big infrastructure companies, you know, they, as you said, pay a very consistent dividend, don't have huge fluctuations in share price and not massive capital growth, but very consistent and uh, pretty decent yield. So... Um, yeah, I agree. If I was to put my money somewhere at the moment, then uh, certainly be in an airport. So once again, we've blown past our 20 minutes or less. So let's let's quickly rip through some of the other ancillary services. Yeah, okay. So you've got your air, you've got the transport providers, the airlines themselves. You've got the infrastructure plays, the airports, and then you've got the ancillary services around it. And I think we, you know, there's obviously 
Boeing and Airbus that are overseas listed that make the planes, and there will, there's a bunch of maintenance and you know luxury jet providers, all that stuff. But I think for our purposes, let's just focus on the booking side of it because that's more customer facing, more relevant in Australia. Yep. And so there's a few big players. Um, some of the biggest are Flight Center ASX code FLT, Webjet. Uh, ASX code WEB and then for those who book through their companies there's also corporate travel management ASX code CTD. Yeah once was a market darling I'm not sure if it still is haven't kept tabs on it but I had a very very good number of years most recently so check it out. Yeah Flight, Flight Center as well had a decent run and then has been hurting a bit recently um so, look, they, these guys obviously benefit from some of the same factors that the airlines and the airports do, namely when more people want to fly, there's more booking through their site. They are, look, they're somewhat fraught businesses, uh, these booking services, just because of how competitive this space is. And in a sense, the airlines are competing with them, but also cooperating with them. They're competing with them because they want people to book directly through their services, but then they're also they want when you know a customer comes in to Flight Center that Qantas want to make sure Flight Center are putting them on a Qantas flight rather than a Virgin flight. So it's an interesting dynamic in the industry, and there's um, there's been some dodgy practices in the past, and there's been a bit of A Triple C involvement, which we don't have time to get into. I'm aware, but in terms of the key drivers of this this part of the industry, it really is the the cyclical dynamics of the economy and the, de- and the demand cycle and stuff like that. And then longer term trends, you look at the aging population that is retiring and is look going to be looking to travel more. You look at the in- increase in sort of Asian tourism to Australia and then for some of the more bricks and mortar players like Flight Centre, you also look at the shift from bricks and mortar to e-commerce and what that means for, for these services. Yeah, agree, Ren. Nice. So just to recap there before we jump into your little tidbit at the end, uh, we've discussed your direct investment in airlines, which is uh, Sydney, uh, sorry, Qantas, Virgin, Air New Zealand, Regional Express and Alliance Aviation Services. Then you've got your infrastructure, which was uh, Sydney Airport and Auckland Airport. And then as you just mentioned, Ren, there's uh, Flight Centre, Webjet and also Corporate Travel Management. And they're more of a a play on the macroeconomic side of things when it comes to the travel and tourism industry. So I guess that brings us to the end of our uh, shallow dive on aviation industry. I know you want to finish with something a bit contrarian. Uh, so what do you got? So we spent a lot of time in this episode talking about how airlines are essentially a commodity business. Uh, and that is true that for the general punter, you know, you go onto a Google flights or whatever, and you just pick the cheapest flight to get you from A to B. There is a part of airlines that are traditionally undervalued and need to be really appreciated for what they are. And those are the loyalty programs. And by some analyst estimates, uh, the loyalty programs can actually be more valuable than the airlines themselves, i.e. the transportation, the flying of planes from A to B is essentially worthless and all the value comes in 
the loyalty programs for these airlines. I'll include a research report in the show notes just because I'm aware of the time. But uh, this, this research report was done on American Airlines and it actually argued that two of the uh, major US airlines, so United and American Airlines, their loyalty programs was actually worth more than their current market cap at the time of the analysis. Wow. So, so um, American Airlines' market cap, i.e. what the market's saying it's worth, was $21.2 billion. And these analysts looked at just the loyalty program and its ability to create revenue and um, they, they estimated the value of their loyalty program alone at $37.6 billion. Whoa. So a fair bit more than the, the company was valued by the market. And when you think about it, the reason that they're so valuable is because that's what creates the you know, loyalty, I guess. It's in the name, loyalty program. But it's, it shifts these airline seats from a commodity business and it keeps people in, you know, locked into that one airline. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of other ancillary services and um, stuff that can be sold to those customers on the back of that. And so when you think about it, like think about it from a Qantas or Virgin perspective, like people love going to the Qantas lounge and stuff like that. And that keeps them in that Qantas ecosystem. It keeps them loyal to the company. Then there's all these other things that can be sold off the back of it, like, you know, Qantas credit cards and stuff like that. So the contrarian take to end it is while the airlines themselves flying to A to B may be a really tough capital-intensive low-margin commodity business, there is a hidden gem hidden in there which people should always take note of when they're looking at airlines, which is the loyalty programs themselves. And Ren, uh, to finish there, that is the reason I would invest in Qantas over any of the others because uh, the size of their loyalty program is probably the biggest loyalty program in Australia across any business, maybe rivaled by Woolworths and potentially Coles, but very, very strong and very well managed loyalty business. So I'll leave it there. Who would you invest in? I would say Alliance Aviation Services. Okay. And and that's just because as the iron ore price rises at the moment and miners do okay for themselves, Alliance is obviously benefiting and they're actually up 18% year to date. Oh, wow. Um, and the year to date is less than half a year old. So you'd be pretty happy if you held Alliance. So I would ride this, uh, this little peak in the mining boom that we're seeing at the moment. Ride the momentum. And, yeah, and go Alliance. Nice. Well, that's a wrap. We flew through that one, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) As always, great to chat stocks with you, Ren. We encourage anyone who's listening to please uh, rate our podcast and and leave a comment if you can. It does wonders for us um, and we would really appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds to do that. And we will leave it there for this week, Ren, and we'll be back next week with uh, an, uh, sorry, next episode with uh, our Ask Us Anything. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.